Hey, good morning, FCF. Uh, so wonderful to gather here with you this morning, uh, another Sunday that we're sheltering in place. Uh, I want to start a little bit differently today. Uh, something has been on my mind for this entire five-week period. It's uh, It's been nothing short of amazing. It's literally brought me to tears on a couple occasions. Uh, through this five-week period, I, I just want to share with the whole church family that the financial support of FCF Church has not changed at all because the Spirit of God has such a grip on the hearts of a core of us at FCF Church, including myself, my family, and, and many of you I know. Uh, we're so devoted to Christ. We have such a love for God, and we want to see His work go forward so badly that though conditions have become uh, difficult and economically uncertain, we have continued to be faithful, generous stewards of those finances that God entrusts to us to be used for His honor, His glory, and the good of many people. So, FCF, I, I could not thank you enough. This, this is a beautiful, affirming mark to me of a, a maturing church, a church that knows their God, is committed to His cause, and who learns to, or has learned, to trust Him in any and every circumstance. Blessing on you, FCF Church. Uh, this also assures my heart, God has many, many wonderful plans for us uh, of FCF Church up the road. All right, I want to start into this message by asking you a question. I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life where you've thought to yourself, you know, when all is said and done, I want to feel like people that have known me will say my life was a blessing to them. Uh, I might have touched a few lives, I might have touched many lives, but all things considered, I want to be a blessing. I want those that have had interaction with me to feel that they derive something good from it. I want, if God will allow it, I want God to make me to make my life a blessing. Keep that thought in mind, because the thing that you and I have to understand is that when we have these desires of our heart and maybe we turn them into an authentic prayer, I certainly have many, many years ago as a young 23-year-old man, God hears these prayers and he takes them seriously, but then he knows that for us to be the blessing we want to be, it's going to require, it's going to require some development and some experiences that you and I would least expect, such as maybe sheltering in place. It's one of these words. I'm going to tell you, man, I never thought I'd even use the word sheltering in place. Uh, I bet you a lot of you are like me, never used the word before, never thought you ever would. Interestingly enough, the people of God have had quite a history of sheltering in place. Let, let me read you just one verse to start off with from the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, and I'm going to be reading to you in verse 20. Check this out. It says, Go, my people. Enter your inner rooms, close your doors behind you, hide for a little while. Listen to this. This is God telling his people, his loyal people, hide for a little while. It's kind of God's way of saying shelter in place for a little while. You can think of some other uh, early experiences of God's people sheltering in place. For example, um, Noah may be one of the all-time longest sheltering in place cases, although the more I think about it, that's not true. But Noah, remember, he builds the ark, and then he's placed on the ark, and the Lord shuts him in, and he and his family are on that thing for, you know, better part of a year, sheltering in place. Let me go further. 
Here's the, actually, this is probably the winner of the sheltering in place contest. Moses, as a young 40 year old man, he's been brought up in the uh, lap of luxury as an Egyptian prince, even though he was a Hebrew child. He's brought up as an Egyptian prince, but he's always known that he was born of Hebrew blood. He sees a Hebrew being mistreated. He intervenes and inadvertently kills an Egyptian. And then the next day he comes out, tries to stop a quarrel between two Israelites. And they say to him, hey, what are you going to do, kill us too? At that point, he knows the cat is out of the bag. And so Moses has to flee for his life, fearing that Pharaoh will execute him for killing an Egyptian. And so Moses goes to some place called Midian, and he shelters in place in Midian for 40 years. 40 years. He's an 80-year-old man when God appears to him in the burning bush and calls him back to his God-given mission and God-given destiny. So sheltering in place is not a new thing for the people of God at all. I want to take you now to a portion of Scripture where we're going to find uh, one of the Bible's most thoroughly considered individuals. In fact, uh, King David is who we're looking at, and the scripture says more to us about King David than anyone else other than Jesus himself. So I'm going to turn you now to the book of uh, 1 Samuel, and I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and I'll give you a little bit of historical background. You know, many of you know the story of David. David starts out, he's just this, you know, sweet, young, the youngest son in a rather large family. He tends the, the sheep. He's, uh, you know, a simple young man. And all of a sudden, one day, Samuel, the great prophet of God, comes to the family and anoints this youngest child in the family, David, to be the next king of Israel. King Saul had been uh, in a state of rebellion against God. He wouldn't carry out God's orders, and so God said that he was going to choose a king after his own heart. So here's David. He's probably 16, 17 years old. Samuel, the prophet, dumps this jug of oil over his head and says, you're God's choice for the next king. And so his journey starts. Now, it's not long after that that Saul starts having these, these manic, depressive uh, bouts. And it's actually uh, demonically instigated, the scripture says. And so his staff around him say, hey, get somebody that's a good musician to come and calm your moods, man. You're, you're really getting dark. So David happens to be not just a shepherd, but a great musician. So David, who has been anointed king, but no one knows this but Samuel and David and David's family, he is brought right into the king's court. And every time Saul gets in one of these depressive episodes, David plays on his lyre and the mood lifts from him. So he starts out with this God-given destiny of being a king. It looks like it's going to happen very quickly. Then things take another extraordinary turn. The Philistine giant Goliath is mocking the armies of Israelite day in and day out. This goes on for 40 days. David just happens one day to be bringing supplies to his brothers who were soldiers. And he hears Goliath, this giant, making fun of God and the people of God. And he goes to King Saul and he says, why isn't somebody striking this guy down? He said, I'll fight the guy. I'm not afraid of him. He says, listen, I've got some experience, Saul. I was out tending the sheep and a bear came along and I struck the bear and I killed it. There was another time a lion came along and I struck the lion and I killed it. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the lion, he'll deliver me from this Philistine. And so you know the story. David takes his sling and it's, it's a short episode. He kills the giant and instantly he becomes 
the most popular person in Israel. He's the hero. People are singing in the streets, and that's what causes David trouble. They sing these songs like Saul has killed his thousands. He was the king. But David, this new kid on the block, he has killed his tens of thousands. And when King Saul hears this, he becomes very insecure, very angry. And what he does is he takes his javelin one day when David is not paying any attention. He's there in the king's court and he tries to pin David, not once but twice, to the wall and to kill him. So this is the background. Let me add one other thing that's occurred. David is not only the most popular warrior in Israel. Saul has given to David Michal, Michael, the daughter, King Saul's daughter, to be David's wife. He is married to the king's daughter. And so his life was, was really pretty wonderful in, a, in an enormous number of ways. And it all happened very easy and it all happened very quick. But then Saul's rages of jealousy changed everything. And so Saul's other son, or Saul's son, Jonathan, he gets wind that his dad is fully intent on killing David. And so he wants David to know because Jonathan and David were good friends. Let me pick up reading now. We'll get into this message full blast. 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Then Saul told his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. But Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. So Jonathan told David, My father Saul is trying to kill you, so be careful tomorrow morning. Find a hiding place and stay in seclusion. Let me say it again. Find a hiding place and stay in in seclusion. It's early biblical way of saying shelter in place, David. Shelter in place. My dad is a constant threat to your survival. Let me take you quickly to the next part of this. So David goes into hiding. I'm going to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, so David left there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. He escapes to the cave of of Adullam. And I'll pause there and we'll pick this narrative up in just a bit. So let's put this whole storyline together. David goes from the pinnacle of success and prestige and popularity. He's loved by everyone. He's loved by King Saul. He's in the, the very place that that anointing, that secret anointing by Samuel the prophet would have him be. He's married to the king's daughter. His life couldn't be sweeter or better. And then and then all at once, it's turned completely upside down. He is forced to run for his life, and he's forced to run and hide and live in a cave. He, he has to shelter in place. He didn't want to be there. He had to shelter in place in the cave of Adullam for an indefinite period of time. And that's where the story gets interesting. Now I want you to, to try to step into David's skin because you and I are sheltering in place. The life that we once had, just like David's life, it's changed. It's changed dramatically. David didn't want his life to change. I'm sure he loved the life that he was experiencing, but it was out of his control. It suddenly changed, and it didn't change in a way that he desired. The cave life for you and I, the sheltering in place life, is not anything that we want. It wasn't anything that David wanted. Now, the cave life or the sheltering in place life to David, and I think to many of us, it, it brings some pretty common experiences. Here's the first thing that sheltering in place or cave life can bring. It first of all brought to David, can bring to us, I hope it brings to us, a sense of the truth about ourselves. David, 
was the most popular guy in Israel. He was a very powerful individual, but it was all stripped away instantly. And all David was now was a flesh and blood human being. David suddenly was faced with his own mortality. He was faced with his own vulnerability. He was faced with his own weakness. I'm sure as he was in that cave, he was dirty, he was bone tired, he was tormented with fear and all kinds of things. And suddenly he finds himself completely vulnerable completely helpless, wondering if he's just going to get through another day and recognizing that if God, if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't protect, he is completely out of control in life. And maybe, maybe this timeout, this COVID-19 timeout has brought some of us to realize the truth about ourselves. You see, the scripture says we were made by Christ and for Christ and apart from him, our lives don't cohere. We are constantly supplied, provided for, and protected by God. We just don't recognize it. We just take it for granted. We get used to it. But occasionally, cave life, sheltering in place, strips us of our certainty, strips us of our confidence and security, and we recognize that what we've been taking for granted were great loving gifts of God, without which we are very weak, very vulnerable. I'm sure David was bone tired and well aware of his vulnerability as suddenly he hides out in this cave. The second thing that cave life did in David's life, I'm sure, and we, we have evidence of it in Psalm 142, I'm going to read you a bit of that in a minute, and can do in our life, is it does bring torment. Because one of the things that happens in the cave is that you remember you remember the life you had. I'll bet you some of you are remembering when you went through Frederick brushing people in shopping malls and in stores and never being afraid, shaking people's hands, hugging people, backslapping people, knuckle bumping people, going to the gym, doing all kinds of things that we like to do, going to the grocery store and never worrying, is there going to be any toilet paper in there today? All these things we took for granted. And now we sit wondering, Man, is it ever going to be the same again? Is it, is it really ever going to be the same? Is it ever going to be possible to feel safe touching people again, interacting with people? Are the stores ever going to be the way they used to be? Is this a new era? Tormented by the memories. David remembered his life of prestige and power and popular. He remembered his wife. He remembered the comfort he had in his his dwellings that he had there, but it was all, it was all gone. When we are in the cave, when we are sheltering in place, we tend to look back on the things that we had that perhaps we took for granted. Nothing wrong with that exactly. It's human nature. But all of a sudden in that cave, they start to torment us. They start to be like thorns in our side and we start to wonder, man, is it ever going to be good again? Listen to David's words in Psalm 142. And here's why it's so critical. Psalm 142 says specifically that it was written when David was in the cave of Adullam. Let me share these words with you from Psalm 142 and you'll get a feel for what was going on inside of David. He says, To the Lord I cry out, to the Lord I plead for mercy. I pour out my lament before him. A lament is, is a grief struck in poetic expression because of a death of a loss. David is remembering he's tormented by his losses. He maybe is remembering the sweet days he had out in the field with the sheep, and maybe he remembers his family as well as the other good things that he had. He says, he goes on to say, I pour out my lament before him. I tell him, meaning the Lord, about my troubles. 
Even when my strength leaves me, you watch my footsteps. In the paths where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Listen to these words, folks. He says, look to the right and see. No one cares about me. I have nowhere to run. No one is concerned about my life. I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my shelter, my security in the land of the living. Listen to my cry for help, for I'm in serious trouble. Rescue me. So this gives you a sense of what David was experiencing inwardly in that cave. He was sheltering in place, but he was coming face to face with the truth about himself and his own frailty and limitations, and he was tormented, no doubt, as he remembered what he once had, but what he had lost. The other thing that can happen in that cave is we find ourselves uh, tortured by the what-ifs and the if-onlys. We start looking back. We start reviewing our life. We start wondering, uh, had I not said this, had I not done that, had I never made that decision, or if I would have made that decision, think of how David could have done this. It is not an unusual thing to contemplate that David might have been sitting there thinking to himself, you know, I dread the day, I dread the day that, that I walked away from the sheep because my parents called me home to meet with Samuel the prophet. I was so excited to meet him that day. And I didn't know what he was doing when he dumped that oil over my head and saying I was the next king. It all seems surreal, but now I wish I would have never met Samuel. Look at my life now. I'm hiding in this filthy cave. I'm filthy. I'm tired. I'm scared. I'm drinking dirty water in my hands. I, I'm afraid of every noise that I hear. I'm lonely to the point that it's killing me, and yet I'm scared to get around anybody. I have to avoid the very camaraderie that my soul aches to have. Wish it would have never happened. He might be looking back. Wish Saul would have never called me into his court to play my instrument. Wish I would have never fought Goliath. I should have just stayed out of it. I should have mind my own business. If only, what if, if only. And maybe some of us are even thinking to ourselves during this time and we go through some losses and we think back, maybe we're tortured by thoughts, is God, is God punishing me? Is, is he angry at me? Has, has he been setting me up for just this time to finally even the score with me? Folks, I hope that's not in your mind at all. It wouldn't be unusual. Our minds tend to go to these places. We get scared. We start thinking things that you know, we normally would not, but these are just not true, and we need to cling to the truth that God has revealed about himself, particularly when we're tortured by the what-ifs, the if-only, and when fear is dominating us, and insecurity is our new life that we breathe, and when we're wrapped, bone-tired, and when we're wondering, is life ever going to be good again? Is it ever going to be the same again? And I think that David was experiencing all these things. The cave life makes us feel like this is the end of the life that I always wanted. Wouldn't be unusual for some of you to be sitting there as you watch your 401k fluctuate, as you wonder about your vocational future, as you wonder about your savings drying up and, and a number of other things, to be wondering, is this the end? Is this the end of everything I've worked for? Is this the end of the life I wanted? Is America ever going to be the same again? Is the world ever going to be the same again? Is this the end of the life that I wanted? I'm sure David couldn't help but to have these kinds of thoughts grow through his mind. And I think it's pretty unlikely that we haven't dabbled with some of those thoughts too. But here's the truth about the cave. Here's the truth about the sheltering in place experience. David, in fact, was not losing the life that he always wanted. In fact, 
He was finding the things in life that he always really needed. Let me, let me repeat that one time. Because I'm really speaking to you, and I know the Spirit of God is speaking to all of us. He's saying, you, you've got to look deeper. You can't, you can't look shallow at this time. This is a divine time out. Make no mistake. I'm not saying God's punishing anybody. I am saying God in great mercy has given the world a divine time out, a wake-up call. And in this divine time out, we might be tempted to think, I'm going to lose forever the life I always wanted. Maybe so. But here's what I can promise you. God is trying to give to me, to give to you the life we really always needed. He wants us to find the things we always really needed, and we're not going to lose anything of any lasting value, I can assure you. Now, I wanted you to see how David's, David's storyline starts to change because it's very important for you to see what happens in David's life to have a better expectation of what God is doing right now as we shelter in place, as we spend time in the cave. So let me go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, So David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Then it changes. When his brothers and the rest of his father's family, when they learned about it, they went down there to him. Let me go on. Verse 2 of chapter 22. All those who were in trouble or owed someone money or were discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. He had about 400 men with him. Get the picture. Take this in. David is in this cave. He's scared. He's desperate. He's vulnerable. He's lonely, and yet he's, he's afraid to see anyone, afraid they'll turn him in like uh, Oded the Edomite did, uh, he, or Doeg the Edomite did. He's wanting fellowship, but afraid of fellowship. Some, some of you know that that's the whole message in and of itself. You crave intimacy with people, but you're terrified of intimacy with people because you feel that those that you open yourself to will ultimately hurt you. That's where David is. But finally, he's looking off in the distance one day and he sees people. He hides himself in the cave, but he's peeking, he's looking. And he, as they get closer and closer, he realizes, this is not Saul's soldiers come to kill me. That looks, that looks like my brother's. Looks like my dad. Looks like my mom. His whole family comes to him. And the parade didn't stop there. Day after day, evidently, people kept trickling in. And listen to the description of the people that came to him. All who were troubled or owed someone money or were discontented, discontented gathered around him. And he became their leader. He had about 400 men with him. Sheltering in place in the cave offers some extraordinarily valuable lessons. It teaches us something about our nature. We're made in the image of God and we are communal beings. We need connection, intimate connection with at least one other person and various levels of connection with other people. Things that we cannot do or experience by ourselves, we can do as we join with others, team with others, collaborate with others, open ourselves to others. And here, here's a great lesson, folks. Tuck this one away. Maybe this is a whole message again for somebody. And I know what this is. I've experienced this. When you're down and you're beaten and you have nothing to offer, when you hate yourself 
And you would not blame anybody else for hating you too. When you are disgusted with your very own soul. And yet there are people, there are people that still believe in God's hand being on your life, God's calling on your life, God's purpose in your life. They still believe in God and the God that's in you and they surround you and they love you in your broken, loathsome state. Tuck it away. Those are your friends, folks. Those are the people worth doing life with. Those are the people worth sacrificing. Anything you have to sacrifice to be a blessing to. David's family risked everything. Listen, anybody that gathered around David, they knew that they were now targets for King Saul and the entire army of Israel. So were the rest of these broken people, people that were in trouble, people that were discontented, people that were in debt. They all gathered to David. But it, notice it says they took him as their leader. What did this mean? It mean that this community of people still believed in the calling that God had on David's life. They still recognized that God's hand was on David, that God had gifted him and called him to be a leader. He's in a cave, folks. He's got nothing to offer. He looks about as much like a king as somebody in a garbage dumpster. But they saw past David and they saw the God that was in He saw the God that was in David. They saw the calling of that God in David. So David starts to learn this lesson of community and true community and what it means to have those that are loyal to God and the calling of God in your life. The second thing that David learned in this cave is he learned a whole new capacity of function. All of a sudden, he goes from being a person that struggled every day just to keep himself alive, just trying to, to run out and grab food and run back without being seen. He goes from being a man who couldn't hardly keep him his own self glued together emotionally. We read that in Psalm 142. To suddenly people flock around him. He's in his most needy, broken down, vulnerable state. He has nothing to give, nothing to offer, but suddenly needy people, maybe even needier than him, come to him and they are expecting him to lead them. They're expecting him to shepherd them. They're expecting him to care for them, heal them, help them, guide them, direct them, meet their needs, cheer their souls. You got to hear this one, folks. David learned a lesson that, that I know God's trying to teach all of us during this time out, this time of sheltering in place. When you and I feel we have the least capacity to offer anything to anyone. When it's all we can do to keep our own self slightly, slightly intact, that is the time when we should be more than ready to reach out and to serve and to give ourselves to comfort, to bless, to heal, to help, to encourage any way we can those that are also needy. Now, that's not the way we normally think. Normally, when we get in that state where we're I can't hardly make it myself. I have nothing to offer anyone. I'm done. We say things like that. We lie to ourselves. We say, I'm done. But God says, no, no, no. You're, you're in that place where I can express my strength in you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He said to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's always worked that way. When we are at that place where we feel like I have nothing, nothing to give to anybody, God inevitably wants to bring people into our life 
And he says, no, you give. Remember Jesus feeding the 5,000? He goes to his apostles first and he says, hey, what do you have, guys? They scurry around trying to find something. Hey, we got this kid who's got a box lunch. That's about it. That's going to be nothing for 5,000 men, not to mention women. Jesus says, bring it to me. He takes the little, the, the little that we have. And what did Jesus do? He multiplies it if we're willing to give it away. If I'm willing to give, if I'm willing to serve when I have nothing inside. And again, I, I, I live this one, folks. Trust me on this. God will multiply that and he will bless the souls of those you give yourself to. David, David becomes their leader. David learns some things that when I am at my rock bottom, when I am at my last thread, somehow God in, inspires me, empowers me to yet multiply what I don't have to give to others so that they will all have their needs met. This was a time where he was learning all kinds of things as well about God's methodology and God's, uh, it gave, God, gave him clarity on the way God works. You see, David was not mistaken when Samuel came and anointed him as king. The thing that David was mistaken about, though, was how is this going to happen? I started this message out by saying, I wonder if any of you ever thought to yourself, I, I would really like to be a blessing when all is said and done. It would be a wonderful thing that every life, whether it was one or whether it was 10,000 that I touched, that people would all have this impression, I brought something good to them. I was a blessing to them. Maybe I even made them aware of the truth about Christ or the love of Christ in some way. So we maybe desire to be a blessing. We maybe pray, God, make me a blessing. Maybe a blessing to my family, my husband, my wife, my friends, my family, my church. And God hears those prayers and takes them serious, but he knows for us to be a blessing, it's going to call for some things to develop in us. We have some things to learn. We have some character that needs to be stretched. We have some resilience that needs to be developed. We, we have some character traits that, that have to be stirred up and developed over time, over a process, before we can be that blessing that he intends us to be. David started learning, yeah, I, I'm called to be the king, but I don't know anything about being a king. I don't even have a capacity to do the work of a king. Now God was gently, slowly developing his capacity. David first learned how to shepherd your own family. David first learned how to shepherd 400 weary, broken, troubled, discontented people. Folks, listen, business. These were the, the start. This was the start of David's kingdom of David's government of the rest of David's life these people that he met in the cave sheltering in place they became the most important relationships for the rest of his life he was learning principles now, now there's a principle in this that I want to share with you because it's so important David was learning that when we stay in the center of God's will he always provides what we need and he always protects us he provides what we need and he protects us. But you have to understand something. We cannot be presumptuous about this. It doesn't mean that we do not have to do our part, that we don't have to be responsible. Listen, if David didn't run, if David didn't hide, if David didn't scrap, if David didn't struggle to survive, God's protection would have been in vain. Listen, our responsibility, listen carefully what I'm saying now, because this time out is meant to teach us something. I've, I've tried to share this in the past. 
my heart's desire is that all of God's people would be prepared that life could take these sudden changes. We are the generation that's living toward the end of the age and the return of Christ. I've, I've preached this. I've taught this for years, if not decades. God's people need to prepare so that we don't presume upon God to provide for us and protect us. David knew that God's protection, or at least he learned this in the cave, in sheltering in place, that God's protection is not in contradiction with his own effort to be prepared to protect himself, to make efforts to survive. So this time out is meant, please hear this, everybody hear this and tuck this away. If this caught you a bit off guard and you weren't prepared, now we are all forewarned. When this thing breaks, we all need to be better equipped, better prepared in case we are that generation that's going to see the world turned upside down yet again in a far more dramatic way. So David learned all these lessons, folks, and, and God wants us to learn all these valuable, valuable lessons. Now, now, here's the thing. The cave experience was nothing that David ever wanted. It was nothing he envisioned. He couldn't have imagined the horrific circumstances he found himself in, running as a fugitive, hiding for his life, drinking dirty water off the ground, filthy, dirty, bone-tired, lonely to the core of his being. He could have never imagined any good coming out of that, but the truth of the matter is all of that, all of that cave experience, all of that sheltering in place, it was giving to David, listen carefully, folks, it was giving to David everything that he really, really needed to fulfill his God-given mission and his God-given destiny. We have a God-given destiny. That destiny is, folks, that all of us are to be growing and developing until we become more and more like Christ, until finally we are just like Christ in character. That's our destiny. The book of Romans says it very clearly. The God's going to see to it that we are transformed to the image of Christ, our Lord, his Son. We also have a God-given mission. Now, our God-given mission is unique to each and every one of us. It might be just one other person for some of us. It might just be one circumstance for such a time as this, kind of an Esther kind of a thing. It might be a lifelong series of very tiny, inconspicuous, kind deeds. Whatever it is, though, God has gifted and called all of us, just like he gifted and called David, to a, a God-given mission. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that God has pre-ordained or foreordained a set of good deeds for each of us to do once we've returned to our God by putting our trust in Christ and becoming his followers. Now we're on that path that leads to our God-given mission and our God-given destiny. David found, and I want you to find, and I know God wants you to find, he found in the cave of Adullam, he found by sheltering in place the path to destiny, his God-given destiny. David's life would never, ever be the same again. David started learning what it was to fulfill his role, his God-given mission as a king. This was the start of his government, as I said. This was the start of his kingly rule. He now was learning what it was to have a shepherd's heart for people, to, to give yourself to care for those that you lead. I know, I know God is wanting to do the same things for us but it's going to look a little bit different. We're not called to be a king. We're all called to something a little bit different. But we have a God-given mission and a God-given destiny. And this divine timeout, this sheltering in place, 
is meant to help each of us realize and experience developmental things that are going to put us on that path of destiny and mission for the rest of our days. Let me close with this thought. Could it be that God has allowed these circumstances of ours to be really, really turned upside down as we would have normally desired them? Inconvenienced us, let's put it that way, so that we can learn to do life differently, so that we can maybe establish righteous priorities. Maybe some of us have thought to ourselves, you know, I always want to put Christ first, always meant to, I always want to spend time in God's Word and really learn it and internalize it. I always want to spend more time in prayer. I always want it to be more Christ-centered and to establish better habits. Well, now we have these opportunity to establish habits and priorities and values that we can carry with us for the rest of our life. That's what happened with David. He established new habits, new practices, new priorities, new values that he would carry for the rest of his life. But it all happened in the cave of Adullam the sheltering-in-place experience. And it could be that this is God's extraordinary gift for you to step onto the path that's going to lead you for the rest of your life to your God-given destiny and your God-given mission. That's my heart's desire and prayer for you. Uh, man, I hope this word has, has touched you the way that it touched me in uh, the development of it. Uh, I don't know that you guys always know this, but when I do a message... God first does the message in me and blesses me with it before I'm there to try to take it and then share it with you guys and hope that it blesses you as much. Uh, let, let's pray together in closing. Father, I have so much confidence in you. I have walked with you now so many years. And this experience these past five weeks has only deepened my confidence in you. It's deepened my confidence in your people. It's deepened my confidence in how your spirit can really get a hold of the hearts of broken, tired, discontented, troubled people and beautifully, wonderfully transform us and turn us into a community, turn us into an army, turn us, Lord Jesus, into your very body uh, that you can manifest and carry on your work through. How I pray, Spirit of God, that that uh, you'll just take this word and, and you know what needs to be done in the heart and life of everyone that listens. I pray that it'll be done to your honor, to the blessing of your sweetheart, and to the good we know will come to our lives. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. FCF, God bless you. I'm so thrilled to share this time with you in this message and can't wait to be back with you live soon. Goodbye for now.